Raised the Jolly Roger with a slick double play. And oh, what a stop, Hayes! There's one! Oh, zip, zap, kazoo! The Buckos just turned two! Ground ball, left side, picked. Oh, Castillo, a pretty play on the first, and a double play! In between hop, and now throwing toward third base, a pick by Hayes! Oh, my goodness, what a play! Key Brian Hayes and Michael Chavis turn it into a double play! Welcome and thank you for tuning in to the 412 Double Play Podcast. Took a week off, but back and ready to talk Bucks baseball, for better or worse. I am, as always, your host, Michael Castriano. With me, as usual, my co-host, Ed Wassel. Joining us this week, friend of mine whom I've wanted to have on the show for a long time now, especially since I've already been a guest on his show twice, host of the Pirates Fan Forum and writer with me on Inside the Bucks Basement, Gary Morgan. Gary, thanks for jumping on with us. How are you doing today? Oh, it's going to be good, man. I'm I'm excited to talk to a new set of people out there and have a good time doing it. Yeah, we definitely are excited to have you on the show. Um, a lot of stuff going on. I'm going to quickly jump through the roster roundup because looking at the transactions this past week, Tucapito Marcano, he suffered that right knee ligament injury during the game Monday in San Diego, placed immediately on the 60-day injured list. Most likely, uh, I read uh, Andrew Destin from the Post-Gazette said that he'll likely require surgery. Most likely means that he won't be returning this season. So Alika Williams was added to uh, added from Indianapolis to take his place on the roster. He was part of the Robert Stevenson trade earlier this season with the Rays. He'd been lighting it up. So I think a lot of fans who followed him were pretty excited about that. Team also sent Key Brian Hayes on a rehab assignment to Indy. And then on Thursday, Carlos Santana traded to the Milwaukee Brewers, ending his tenure in Pittsburgh, and outfielder Josh Palacios recalled from Indy to take his place. So let's actually start at the end there, talking about the Santana trade. The return was one of the Brewers' top international signings from 2022. He was ranked number 21 per MLB pipeline at the time, and that's Johnny Severino. He was assigned to FCL and homered in his first game. Gary, your thoughts? I know Santana was, you know, one-year deal. He's pretty strong defensively at first base, something that we haven't really had in previous seasons, but the bat isn't necessarily first base caliber. Is the return something that the fans of the team should be excited about? Is there a possibility for option C? I don't really care about the return because I knew one of the first basemen was going to get traded before the season started. And uh, when Choi got hurt and was out for most of the season, I figured I knew which one it might be. It turns out he didn't turn into a pumpkin too early. And, uh, <laughs> you know, he netted some kind of return. I mean, in all sincerity, what I hear is that the Pirates internally were in on this kid um, in their own draft board a couple years ago, and they didn't get the signing done. Um but he's right up there with like the Henry Blancos of the world and 
Shailen Polanco's, you know, a little bit over a million dollar signing bonus is no joke in international waters. So, hey, if you're going to take a shot on a lottery ticket, make it one that somebody else thought was pretty awesome, too. It's definitely something where, I mean, given that he's at the Florida Complex League, not someone that we're going to see anytime soon. And I think that's kind of the case with most of those 2022 international signings. Is, is this just a lottery ticket sort of situation or, um, I mean, because he's only, what, 18, 19 years old? Yeah, but like I would that? call him a fairly advanced lottery ticket, if only because the Brewers have already been working him out. He's already been playing a little bit. Pirates have him right away in their system. That's relatively young for one of those signees. You know, that actually should give you a little bit of excitement when you see things like Henry Blanco getting started, Shailen Polanco getting started, Shim starting, you know, out of the international signing pool. That's the yeah. type of caliber player this is. He's right in there. I think it's a worthwhile risk. It's People aren't going to like to hear it. He's not the physical freak that O'Neill Cruz was, but same exact way they got him. Same exact scenario. Trade a veteran that you can't really use and isn't helping you right now. For a guy that, hey, three, four, five years down the road, which nobody ever wants to hear. But if you don't need him, get on your knees and thank the Lord for one thing that you didn't need him. And if he does pan out, get on your knees again. Thank the Lord again that you have something awesome you can trade for something you really do need right now. Yeah. Now, looking at the O'Neill Cruz situation seems like at the earliest, it's going to be late August, more likely September. Marcano, his, uh, I guess, successor, technically, at, at shortstop, now is out likely for the season. In the immediate aftermath of that, Alika Williams seems to be benefiting the most. But who do you see getting a bulk of playing time with that hole that's opened up? Feels like they're going to use the three of them in some kind of a rotation. You know, Gonzalez, Alika Williams, and Piguero. And I think they feel pretty confident that they can bounce Piguero and Alika Williams to short, but either of them could play second base. And I think it's good for Nick Gonzalez because his bat has a tendency to start to flail when he plays a little too much. So maybe for right now, it's probably good to stagger him into the lineup here and there and set him up with favorable matchups. That's how I think they'll use them. Just a trio for now. And I wouldn't count on getting a whole lot out of O'Neill Cruz to contribute to that. Yeah, it seems like he's mostly a lost season. But with Key Brian Hayes, when he comes back, and we did he, he was pulled from the game on or the lineup on Thursday, and then I think he wasn't in the lineup on Friday either in Indianapolis, but he was in Saturday and Sunday. Is there anything that you've heard as to his movement and development? I've seen that he should be back up with the team for the Tiger series this week. But that's what they're projecting. I mean, it's a sore back, man. Like I'm 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 a man of a certain age, 45-ish, you know. When you when you have back problems, there's not a doctor in the world that's gonna be able to tell you you have a back problem. So it doesn't matter how many scans you do, that's why it's used as fraud so often. You can, you can get away with saying you have a back problem, but nobody can disprove it. You know, um, I'm not saying that's what Brian's doing, but 
when he says he feels soreness when he swings a bat, I, what are you going to do? If you're a team official, you pull him out out of abundance of caution, right? And you sit him down for a couple days, and then you put him back out there, and you go, do you feel better today, big guy? And he swings the bat, and he goes, yeah, yeah, I'm all right today. Okay, I guess you're going to go back to the big club, boy. Like, I mean, like, I, I don't even know what else to say about it. He, I think it's a guy that probably just, he's either super afraid he's going to aggravate something and miss a whole season because of not thinking the wrist would keep him out a whole season. And he's still holding on to that mentally, so he's over-sharing with the, with the training staff, maybe. Or he just doesn't have a pain tolerance, and <laughs> neither of those are great. So they, they need to really figure it out and get him on some kind of a weightlifting regimen to fix it. Yeah, definitely got to hope that our gold glove caliber third baseman, who had at one point the highest <laughs> contract in Pirates history, and pretty solid exit velocity numbers if he wasn't able to really turn those contacts into home runs and successful hits. And Somebody really smart have... wrote a whole piece about that once on my website. Yeah, I think so. I think so. I have to go back and check to see who that was. And I'm, I, you wrote, you read that, right? I did. That that guy, that Caliver. Uh, no, the funny thing is, for the first half of my uh, the season, because we just did a redraft on my fantasy baseball league, my team name was uh, Stars Key and Kutch, and I had Key Brian Hayes and Andrew McCutcheon on my team. And I had to drop Hayes like three times because he just kept getting into these horrible slumps. And I was like, I, I, I want to stick with them. It's just really frustrating. And Ed, I know that you've got mixed feelings about Key. You've said before that you think when he comes back that Triola should stay at starting third base. Do you as still feel that Triolo, way? As long as Triolo is still swinging the hot bat, I would have a hard time taking him out. I mean, I, I understand from the defensive perspective that Key is superior. But if you're going to weigh both the bat and the glove, for me, I would stick with Triolo until he regresses, which yeah, I'm sure isn't the popular opinion. But No, it's basically like a Hedges versus a competent catcher, offensive catcher situation. Do you think that the defense is enough to really outweigh what someone else's bat could provide? Well, it's I, not I, like I Triolo's, you know, or not like Hayes leaps and bounds ahead of Triolo defensively. Right. So it, to me, if, you know, if you're pulling the hedges comparison where he's like the best framer in the league and, you know, ridiculous defensive stats, like Triolo, I don't feel is that far behind Hayes. Granted, very small sample size, but. I mean, he does have two minor league gold gloves. I've seen a few plays that I definitely think Hayes would have made. And, you know, you notice it. And and you wouldn't notice it if you didn't have an Arenado or a Hayes type player. You know, when you when you don't have them, that's when you notice. But Triolo is pretty close. He really is. He's, he's up there. He's very good. It just Hayes has this instinct for playing defense that Triolo maybe with time he'll get there. Uh, we're probably lingering too much on this conversation, but uh, I, I, 
I think it's going to be an interesting kind of discussion that they'll have to have as far as getting Triolo playing time and whether he factors into that middle infield situation or if he just strictly becomes a bench bat because he has been hitting really well. I think his batting average is somewhere around 300 right now. I can say the team is not as prepared to um, say that what we've seen of Hayes is what Hayes is, like most fans are. They're not in that place. And even when it's brought up about what are they going to do when Hayes comes back, I heard somebody ask Derek Shelton today. He said, uh, well, let's not make a mistake here. Hayes is the best defensive third baseman in the league. So I don't think they have any plans of minimizing Hayes. But I would say there's opportunities on the table right away for for Triolo. He can play third base, and they can give Hayes a little bit of extra rest. I think that's a good way to go. Um, You know, maybe you only play him two days in a row. You give him a day off in between each of those. That's Triolo getting, you know, a game at third every couple days. Throw him over at first every once in a while. I don't think we need to see Connor Joe, you know, necessarily. Um, and and as exciting as he can be, I don't think we need to see, you know, Palacios. You could, <laughs> there's different things you can do to the lineup, but if you think Triolo is that important, and his over 300 says maybe he is, find places for him. You don't bring up all these prospects and then not have some kind of problem like this. Yep, that's true. Yeah. All right, all right let me... Let me jump through the weekly recap, and then we'll get back to talking about specific players. So, Padres series, game one, couple home runs. Decent, though not stellar, outing from Priester. Shut down bullpen and an 8-4 win. Game two was a struggle. Offense only ma- uh, managed three hits against Blake Snell. Angel Perdomo gave up a blast to Soto and then plunked Machado, was ejected and then suspended, as was Shelty. And then we lost 5-1. But the finale, Johan Oviedo, six strong. G-Man Choi homered. I think that was his sixth of the year. And the team won 3-2. 5-1 against the Padres this year. And then back home for Yinzer Palooza. Still a silly name. Against the PA rival Phillies this weekend. Zach Wheeler dominated Bucks bats, striking out 11. And despite a fairly strong start from Mitch Keller, we had an ill-advised hold by Ribello of Kutch at third base. And the team lost 2-1. Saturday had rookies leading the way. Andy Rodriguez drove in four runs. Leo Verbaguero homered among his three hits. And Priester netted his second win of the week despite walking six and allowing five runs to score in five innings. Team won 7-6. And then game of the week, maybe season today, as Pirates went to extras, had some interesting luck to get out of the top of the 10th scoreless. Talk about that in a second. And then Josh Palacios hits a leadoff two-run shot to right to walk it up his first career walk-off and coming on his 28th birthday. So I'm actually going to start with Ed on this one. Did you, if you got to watch the game today, or if not, what was your reaction to how that all played out? Did not get to see the game today. I am in a blackout area. And for whatever reason, the Phillies weren't on TV, which was odd to me, because I was really hoping that I'd be able to watch the game due to that. Uh, I was able to just basically watch highlights so I went back and saw in the top of the 10th, the odd double play that Davis was a part of. Yeah. 
So let's talk through that quick because Phillies, they got runners on second and third. So it was Harper on third, Bryce Harper on third, and Alec Bohm on second. And then it was a fly out to Davis and Wright. He guns it to the plate. Harper initially started towards home and then retreated back on the throw. Bohm didn't get that memo and was almost a third at the time. Endy's playing catcher at this point, throws it to Gonzalez at second, who fires back to nap Harper at home because the Phillies had some confusion on the bases. So they went from two on no out to one on two outs. And then the next batter struck out. So they ran themselves into a bad situation. Now, Gary, this team in the past, I feel like would be on the other end of poor base running or possibly kind of fumbled the bag, trying to get an out, allowing the run to score. In your opinion, is this team improved from earlier in the season and showing signs of being competitive in the near future, 2024? with these young guys, or is this just a good stretch from a team still likely headed towards 90-plus losses? They have a bunch of kids that we're going to see in spring, so it, it almost doesn't matter what trajectory you think they're on. There's no turning back at this point. Um, they're going to have some pretty obvious holes they have to fill. You're right. We would have normally been on the the receiving end, and I think we will be again, probably next week, a couple times. And when you play this many kids, that you're they're going to do dumb things. They just are. They're also going to do brilliant, exciting, athletic things, like they did today. Like that was second nature. The, the the two parts of that play that nobody really thinks about. Henry Davis, just for one thing, young, eager, believes he there's nothing he can't do guns it for home instead of like even thinking about a cutoff man or anything. He's like, F that they ain't scoring on me. It just guns it. Right. <laughs> One hop. Andy, Andy comes out basically saying like, okay, I'm not going to get that out. So he comes out to receive it up the line a little bit. Harper chickened out. He picks up on what's going on. He throws it. Nick Gonzalez is so on top of what's going on. He abandons the free out comes off the base so he can charge the ball and make sure he gets it back to Andy in time to get the important out that stops the run. That's three kids living on instinct. They're, that's not taught. That They didn't go over that play. That didn't happen in the minor leagues. This is like something that just instinctually took over from kids. Veterans might overthink that. You know, they might have, like, done the, the technique. They might have hit the cutoff guy and done exactly technically what they should have done. Try to keep the runner at second so he doesn't advance to third. Let the run score. Stop, you know. Nope. I think that play is exactly what you can expect from kids. You can also expect them to boot it three or four times. Yeah, and Davis has had some issues in the outfield. Uh, Charrington said on his... Uh, I guess weekly broadcast today on 93.7 The Fan, that after the trade deadline, we will be seeing Davis behind the dish playing catcher. He's only caught one inning so far professionally, or I guess in the majors. Um, that has to mean that Hedges is either getting moved or, I don't know, go going to coaching staff or something. Which do you think is more like most likely going to happen with that at this point? I think he's probably either getting moved or DFA'd. Right. But I also don't think that you would see a DFA and then we start seeing Henry Davis. 
I think you'd see him float around on the bench a little bit longer until they've seen Henry do it a few times and really believe that he and Andy both can handle it. Then I think you'd see a DFA. And this is if a trade doesn't happen. I I mean, part of me thinks they're going to have to have another catcher in this mix even into the future just to make it work. You know, you're going to have Endy, I think, can play first base. They can DH a little bit. Henry can obviously play right field. Heck, you might want Henry to play right field. So, who knows? Now, with the offensive shortcomings of this team, we're seeing a lot of people kind of hating on Brian Reynolds, even though in the past week and a half he had several multi-hit games and people just have, like, you know, 10 second memory and immediately forget about that. Is there any, um, I guess, timeline on putting Haynes, Andy Haynes, the hitting coach on the hot seat or because the team's been playing 500 ball the past week, is that something that's kind of going to be swept under the carpet? Yeah, he, he's on the hot seat. I mean, for sure. He has no contract beyond this year. And okay. they've got awful, awful, historically awful offensive numbers under his tenure. So there's two options. You either say, okay, this is an organizational philosophy and it is not working. So we fire everybody responsible for that organizational philosophy. Or you go, our organizational philosophy is actually pretty cool, but hey, it sucks. Which one would you do? Now, you're Ben Charrington. Which one do you do? And if you ask Derek Shelton, which one? I mean, at some point, loyalty kind of dies when when your life's on the line, right? So I don't think he's going to fall on his sword and say, nah, Andy was just doing what I told him to do. Andy's going to take the bullet for this. I'm sure of it. During the season or most likely after? If it's during the season, it'll be no different the next time. It'll be too late to matter, and then the team will go on an offensive explosion, <laughs> just like they did last time. And then yep. everybody will go into spring. Oh, it was all Haynes. Everything's great. I think even if they still are terrible afterwards, fans will blame Haynes. No, well, they didn't like last you said, time. I'm just well, saying, they all blamed Dextine, and then as soon as he was gone, they hit. Everyone was like, oh, Donnie Kelly. He's a savior. He fixed them all. Look, he did took him two days to fix them all. <laughs> yeah. You Easterners don't hear it like this. <laughs> That's probably true. All right, let's pivot to down on the farm. Indianapolis Indians took four of six at home versus Louisville Bats, often led by essentially quad A player Miguel Andujar, who hit three homers, posted a four to three walk to strikeout ratio, and slashed. 417, 500, 792 in six games. Indians rise to 48 and 53 on the year. Altoona Curve dropped four of six at Harrisburg Senators, but Shang-Chi Chang has continued to hit in his promotion to double A ball, slamming his first homer with the team today as he slugged 609 for the week. Curve are now 44 and 48 in the standings. Greensboro grabbed four of six first Winston-Salem Dash. Josiah Seitler has quietly been having a strong season, getting some notice last weekend, uh, excuse me, last week after his promotion to Greensboro, posting a 368, 478, 
579 triple slash after an 18 game run in Bradenton where he just crushed everything to the tune of a 1.454 OPS. Grasshoppers are now 48 and 45 on the season. And finally, Bradenton took five of six at St. Lucia Mets. Second round draft pick Mitch Jeb having a strong start. First three games in Bradenton for 14, 1.314 OPS. Marauders are now holding a 56 and 39 record on the year. Mostly coincidence that I highlighted all hitters. There were some solid performances from pitchers, notably Jared Jones had a six inning, four hit, two runs start last week. No walks and seven strikeouts. So, uh, Gary, with the issues that we've seen with the rotation, I do want to quickly talk about Jones. He only was moved to Indy last month, missed time early on in the season in Altoona on the injured list. But he has electric stuff, was hitting triple digits in his start. Is there a chance we see him in Pittsburgh by the end of the season? Or will he be finishing this year in Indianapolis regardless? I think there's a strong chance. And if they trade Rich Hill, it's much stronger. I mean, you're going to have to have somebody to finish up eating innings. And they already clearly don't think Beto is a starter starter. You know, um, so you're kind of already gone with a bullpen-ish game every time through the rotation. Quinn Priester's gotten a couple wins, but he's also gotten the crap beat out of him a couple games that he won. So, you know, I don't know how long-term he's here. I think Ortiz has the boo-boo face a little bit from his demotion, and um, that'll either sort itself out over the next couple weeks or it won't. I don't believe Ben Charrington when he says Rayonzi Contreras could be back in the bigs this year. I just don't believe that. Um, so I think you're looking at, like, Cam Aldred or uh, Jared Jones having to carry some weight here. And I would rather not have to do that. That's why I wouldn't trade Rich Hill. They will, I think, but I wouldn't. (laughs) So it's funny that you mentioned both Contreras and Ortiz because those were the next two guys I was going to mention. Ortiz obviously in Indy right now, and he struggled to a 4.40 ERA. Rowe dropped even further down at the Florida Complex League. Uh, you do you foresee any chance that either of them gets back, even if they're in? I mean, I know that Contreras they already tried him in a bullpen role, but even in like a short or long relief option. Ortiz has a better chance, if you ask me, because to me it's just a matter of getting him to throw the baseball well a couple times, and I think he could reasonably be called back up. Um, his, his velocity has not dropped. It's more with him, just a, a finesse thing or a fine tuning of his stuff or learning how his stuff plays off itself, you know, and he actually might do better pitching to an Andy Rodriguez than, than an Austin Hedges. You know, he maybe needs a little bit more of that free range catcher, if you will, you know, a little bit less restrictive, um, a little bit more to able to move with his flow that might yeah. work better for him Rwanzi, i'm much more concerned about the velocity took a huge hit to have him in a lab it, i mean that's why he's not in games you have to know what the problem is before you can fix it and and obviously they're not going to come out and tell you why his velocity's down besides saying that he's slow through his delivery 
there's something there. I don't know what it is. I don't know if they're going to end up finding loose bodies in his elbow or something, but like there's something wrong mechanically with them and nobody seems to know. Um, so who knows how long that takes? And then you got to build him back up and then what's the point? You know, they've said themselves, they still see him as a starter. So getting him, rushing him back to throw him in the bullpen isn't going to help this year. There are going to be innings that need to be eaten, whether that's with someone currently with the team or outside of that. Um, I guess I'll just go ahead and jump into our special for this week, which is the trade deadline nearly upon us. We have seen a number of moves already across the league, but what moves await the Pirates? I naively predicted in spring training that the Pirates would not strictly be sellers, but there's clearly no guarantee that will be the case. They've already dealt Santana and don't really have the marquee pieces available. But Rich Hill, Austin Hedges, Mitch Keller, David Bednar, among others, have all been rumored in discussions this past week. So, Gary, who among them or other members of the team do you see as most likely to be moved by the deadline? And what are the potential landing spots for those players? Mm. The most likely are the people that were most likely before the season. Rich Hill, Austin Hedges, um... I suppose G-Man Choi could probably draw some interest. Lefty bat power he's shown recently. It's a short spurt, but you could probably think of him as a cheap power hitter that somebody could take. Um, I would throw an extra name into this that nobody's mentioning. Uh, I think Ann Duhar could have a market. He has really been killing it in the minors. I don't see the Pirates using him, but I could see a fringe team taking a flyer on a guy that doesn't even have to be on your 40 man and throwing some cash at it just to stockpile him away and hope that his back keeps hitting like that. Why not? And, um, I think, uh, your Bednar's safe Keller, the Keller talks ridiculous. They're not trading Keller and the, uh, the ask is ridiculous. And I, and if the proposal I heard is anywhere close to accurate, Absolutely not going to happen. Um, any GM would be fired for returning what they're asking for. And uh, <clears throat> Bednar, well, I wouldn't do it, but I've seen some some ideas out there that had me thinking at least. And it's a lot easier to replace a closer. And I know nobody wants to hear that, the hometown guy. But, you know, baseball and sentimentality don't really go hand in hand until they're in the hall of fame. It's definitely going to be tough if, and when it happens and it's kind of an inevitable reality. I mean, Neil Walker was drafted by the team hometown kid came up with the organization was there during the playoffs. They traded him for a junk lefty pitcher from New York. So I don't think that it's impossible that at some point in time they do have to unload Bednar and no. probably still get a haul back. He's You're right. And I, the only thing I will say is Bednar does work very, very closely with the team. And when I, I know a lot of you don't think a lot of that matters really, but they work, he works really closely with them on all this charity stuff. He is at every signing. He's at every event. He does every reach out program. He's at every season ticket holder thing. He's at every buck caravan thing. He works closely with Bob Nutting. Don't think Bob Nutting has forgotten what happened when he traded Neil Walker and what the fan base thought of him. 
right or wrong. It was the right move. Neil Walker fell off the table after that. But don't think that he's forgotten that. Don't think that he's forgotten what happened when they traded Kutch, even though they got Reynolds. He knows what the city thinks of that stuff. So <laughs> I could see them holding yeah. on to Bednar till the bitter end, probably too long, you know? It's definitely possible. So looking at this deadline, is there any chance that the Pirates buy just to gear up for next year, getting guys that have at least a year on the contracts, or are they strictly tear down stage once again? I'd love for them to consider it if it's on the table, but those marriages are really tough to come by at this time of year. There's, you know, most of the teams that have what you need, well, they're trying to make a run or they wouldn't be looking for deals to begin with. You know, um, sure. You can go in and swipe somebody like that. The Kansas city Royals have for sale and you can trade them prospects and contribute to their rebuild and, and take it back, I guess. But they don't really have anything that's that exciting, like that they're offering up right now. White Sox kind of do, but yeah. what they're asking for in a seller's market, I don't know that the Pirates are in position to sell right now because you know what they would want back. If you asked for somebody like Dylan Cease, they'd ask for somebody you need desperately, like Solometto or Jones or, you know, somebody that you're really, Bubba Chandler. Lonnie White, somebody that's in your top 15 is going to go back minimally. I don't know that they're in a position to do that quite yet. Now, what if they were looking for someone a little bit lower on the chain, like, uh, say, Aaron Savali from the Guardians, who have already gone into cell mode? Yeah, I mean, I'd be down for that. The Indians are super smart. Um, It's almost like dealing with Tampa at this point. You know, if they if they want to deal a guy, it's usually for a reason. Um, I don't know. I'd be open to it. I like Savali. I haven't liked what any um, Guardians slash Indians pitcher has done since leaving the Guardians slash Indians, though. Um, Bauer's the only one that's really done well, and that was only up until a certain point. Not right? in Korea. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, he's turned it around in Korea a little bit, actually, now. So his buzz will be back up next year if if anybody has the stomach for it. Great. But uh, no, I mean I would trade for for a Savali if the price was right. Depends on what they're looking for, you know. If if they want something that we don't think we have to have, like let's say we can go. Okay, Nick Gonzalez, great player. We like him. He's got a good bat, bat speed, strikeouts. We don't ever think are going to get manageable. He's probably going to end up being a bit player. Maybe he's a guy that you're willing to part with. We're talking about this third base situation. Well, I, I hate to say it, but maybe Trillo is a guy that the Indians would like. They like playing small ball. Here's a guy that gets on base, plays really good defense. That said, they have a megastar playing his position. So <laughs> does that diminish him a little bit? I don't know. What would they want? You'd have to give me a package before I could really say that. And I don't know what the Indians are looking for, the Guardians are looking for, because I'm not really sure what they're doing. I still think they have a shot to win that division, so I'm not 100% sure why they'd be moving that piece. Yeah. Now, with 
Hill and Hedges seeming like the most likely pieces who could be moved from the Pirates. What, and as we've seen some pieces being claimed, the Rangers just traded for uh, lefty Jordan Montgomery after they nabbed Scherzer from the Mets. So they've kind of shored up their rotation. Is there a market for a back of the rotation well over the hill southpaw and a defense first bat last catcher? I don't know. I look at his last like five or six starts and I wonder if he's if he would even be sold as a starter. Really. I think on the Pirates he is because it's necessary right now, but I wonder if most people wouldn't be looking at him as more of a bullpen arm. Um, you know, a long relief type guy, spot starter if you have like somebody go on the IL for 15 days or something. Um I, I don't know. I don't I'm not seeing as much left in the tank as as I think I'd like to see in a deadline piece that I'm trying to sell. Um that said, he's a lefty. This market's crazy. Maybe by you know 3:30 on Tuesday somebody is like go get Rich Hill. Just do something. <laughs> you know, and then you get a Rich Hill in there and maybe they trade you know, some lottery ticket or something, you're not getting anything close to major leagues. And if you do, it's going to be Andujar type or CSN or Mitchell. It's not going to be something you actually want. More clutter. Shave as young. You know what I mean? Like, that's all it's going to be. So I don't get excited about these trades. I'm glad to hear Ben Charrington say, like, we don't have to make these trades. That's good. There's no reason to try to save the paltry amount of money that you're going to save trading any of these guys. To me, get more value out of keeping Rich Hill just for what he does for the the rest of the year innings-wise and whatever mentoring he's doing, even with just Johan Oviedo, who he has really taken under his wing. I'll take that. All right. I mean, I'll say I like Chavis Young, but yeah. I, I get I get that the I like him too, but uh, Michael, he ain't ever gonna play here. Just he look, I mean, you know he's he isn't. He's an Altoona. Right. And it just kinda yeah. No, I get it. All right. Well, let's look ahead. We've got a two game series at home against the Tigers this week, and then a four game set at Milwaukee. Uh, certainly starters could change with the deadline, but right now for the Tigers series looks like it's gonna be Matt Manning for Detroit versus Johan Oviedo. On Tuesday, and then on Wednesday, Eduardo Rodriguez, Southpaw versus, right now the reported starter is Osvaldo Vito. Could use an opener for that. Uh, Ed, because you've had a bit of a quiet stretch here, what are your predictions for the Tigers series? I would like to think that that the Pirates can take both of those games. Uh, Tigers has been fairly poor team. Got at least one solid starter going up there with Oviedo. Bedeau, uh, like you said, not sure opener or w- what that deal is going to be, but I think they have a good shot at taking both of those games. Gary, is there anything we need to watch for against Detroit? Not really. Um, if you throw a strike to Javi Baez, you're probably stupid. So I always watch for that and laugh about that, but um, no, I, the, the Detroit team, I feel terrible for, they've been snake bitten. 
they had all those starters coming up and this rebuild looked like it was getting somewhere and then everything crashed to earth and Tommy John's happened all over the place. And I feel for them because I don't necessarily feel like they did a bad job building that team. They just never got to see it together. And it already feels like they're to tear down mode. So I always kind of just feel bad when I watch Detroit. <laughs> but um, Considering that could be us next year? I don't think it will be. But um, yeah, I, I and also don't think we'll ever spend as much money as Detroit did trying to prop that you know, initial go of kids up. It's not, <laughs> it's not going to happen. So they're never going to go out and get a hobby by us. Thank the Lord. But um, yeah, I, Detroit's just a weird team. They can, they can hit every once in a while. If you play them in Detroit, I think you have a little bit more of a, a chance to, to uh, lose to them because they understand the, the cavernous nature of that ballpark and they play that way. Um. Oh, and that's if the bats are going for them and they, they can pitch to it. Like if you're going to be a team that's going to try to walk, walk slug, like the pirates do all the time, they're going to, they're going to die there. <laughs> There's just no ifs, ands, or buts. Um, but I think in PNC park, pirates have the advantage. They have the better roster right now. And I think the kids have a lot more energy. I think you can see the energy is a little bit different with the team right now. One six of ten, you know, maybe things are turning around a little bit for them. I did say that we would like the team better at the end of the year than we did in April. So uh, we felt that way last year too. Didn't mean that the team at the end of the year was any good, unfortunately. Well, I think but the I team liked, at the beginning of twenty twenty two was terrible. I think I liked more of what I saw coming at the end of twenty twenty three than than any other ending. You know, I knew this year was going to be a sell-off, but I thought it was going to be more to make room than necessarily to try to get prospects or anything. I kind of feel that way right now. I feel like trading Santana, great guy, liked having him around and everything, but I felt like they needed to make some room. You know, they needed to move a veteran out. I would be, I would love for them to move another. <laughs> I just don't think it's on the mound where they have that room. I'd be okay if they moved Connor Joe. I really, you know, like I think we've we've seen what he can do. It was nice. Maybe he's got some value. Can't do it though while you don't have a first baseman because you might need him as an insurance policy next year. Yeah, that's a good point. All right, and then this weekend, four game set in Milwaukee. Right now, Keller versus TBD. Priester on Friday against Colin Ray, Rich Hill tentatively versus Corbin Burns on Saturday, and then Sunday Oviedo versus Freddie Peralta. So we'll have our old friend Santana. Uh, Gary, any predictions for that series? Uh, I don't know. We historically played pretty poorly at not Miller Park, whatever it's called now, Great American Insurance home insurance, whatever it is. We can still call it Miller Park, but <laughs> I think it's Great American something. I don't know. No, that's yeah. uh, American that's Family. Cincinnati, right? Yeah, American that's Cincinnati. Family, yeah. American Family Insurance or something like that. Yeah. I don't know. I think uh, they have just as good a shot of splitting this series as sweeping it. I, I don't think Milwaukee's a juggernaut. They're just in a terrible division. They're the best team in a terrible division. And they're the most veteran 
good team in the division. I think anybody can beat anybody at any given time in this division because they're all pretty bad. I really do. <laughs> I really do feel that way. Cincinnati even. You, you've seen them get their comeuppance recently. I mean, like, at some point, the kids start to play like kids, and the pitchers start to pitch like kids, and then they get scouted, and then the league knows what they can do to people, and next thing you know, Ellie De La Cruz is batting 205. You know, I mean, it's it's a punch in the face. We watched it happen with O'Neill Cruz. We just were nice enough to not tell those fine folks in Cincinnati it was going to happen to them. We sat back and let them have their fun. And <laughs> no, I, they're a good young core, but like they're in the same boat. Kids, 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 kids. That's what it's all about. And any of these teams can beat anybody any given night. Would be nice for us to go out there and in a series in Milwaukee. I'm trying to think if we, no, we probably didn't even face them in Milwaukee this year. This is the way the schedules work, but certainly feel good. Always, yeah. Yeah. Definitely feel better than uh, before this past week, you know, winning four of six in those two series. Eds, your thoughts? Uh, we do have to face Corbin Burns. He hasn't been quite as dominant as like last year. And unfortunately, well, we got right now, Hill scheduled against him. As I said two weeks ago, for whatever reason, this team seems to hit decently against opposing aces. I, I predicted we were going to beat Otani, and we had every opportunity in the world to do it. And the I don't team know. Just Did you? Blew it. You didn't. I hang on. You didn't watch the game on Friday when we faced Zach Wheeler, and he struck out eleven in six innings. Well, they usually hit the aces pretty well. Occasionally, they get us. <laughs> but uh, no, I, I feel like we should probably split that series. Like Gary had said, there's. No reason why there couldn't potentially be a sweep because it just nobody is that good. I just don't yeah. even know what to base it on. Like this iteration of this team, you've watched play three games. We don't know what these kids do together, <laughs> really. You know what I mean? Like, we don't know what they're all going to do. I, I don't know how to ex- expect. Like, I know what their ceilings are long term. I know what I think each of them is capable of. But on any given night, I don't know who to go, yeah, I'm going to get a little bit of production out of that guy. I, like, the other night when uh, Piguero just went nuts. I mean, yep. great great to see because i was starting to be like okay alika williams all right you know well now i'm like hey peggy you're looking pretty good man like um you know so you you just kind of like waffle back and forth with it that's kind of what it's like watching these kids and then we'll slowly start to see them solidify take a spot this is your spot now you're just gonna start to feel it we don't even have like g1 bay in this mix i think they plan to put him back in this mix you know, Castro's hitting again in the minors now. <laughs> you know what just I mean? Just this past week, yeah. But Well, just this past week. But that's after they've been working on some things with him that they couldn't get done up here and didn't have the time to give it bats for. So maybe they're starting to break through. I'm just saying, like, we've washed our hands of people that are still heavily involved in what they're trying to do here. 
next spring when we talk about camp battles, you know how we always kind of go, well, there's a camp battle going on for shortstop. And then we all go, <laughs> oh. I mean, no, we're going to be like, yeah, there really is a camp battle here. Who is going to be our second baseman? Like, <laughs> there's so many people. And if you're going to have crews playing every day at shortstop, imagine all the congestion we're watching right now with one spark plug put right in the middle of it. Oh, it's going to be crazy watching it unfold. It really is. And when we talk about trading the glut, how do you even find out who the glut is? <laughs> it's tough, man. It's fun to watch. These guys are going to have to learn to play elsewhere. We're seeing it with Davis. Likely see it at some point with Endy. You just got to hope that the you know cream of the crop rises to the surface and we, we figure that out sooner than later and risk trading the best option that we have. Uh, I did check the last time we faced the Brewers in Milwaukee was in June from the 16th through the 18th. And they swept us because of course they did. That was a terrible month. Well, it's different. All now. Right. We're going to beat them this time. We're trading yeah. them Andy Haynes at the deadline. That's going to tank their team. I'm sure they want him back. <laughs> yeah. They gave him Yelich. <laughs> yeah. I know. Yelich is finally remembering how to hit. And they're like, yeah, we'll, we'll take Haynes back. That'll, that'll fix everything. Um, all right. Well, I think that wraps it up for all of us here at the 412 Double Play Podcast. Thank you to our guest, Gary Morgan. He does his live episodes for Pirates Fan Forum on Thursdays. Audio version drops on Saturday mornings. He's also on Lockdown Pirates with Ethan Smith on Mondays. Writes his five at five on Inside the Bucks Basement. Mondays Q&A on Wednesdays. Really great stuff. Uh, did I miss anything, Gary, on that? No, you were already too kind to do all that, and thank you for <laughs> thank you for not uh, making me talk about the Atlanta series after all of the other things we talked about. Yeah, of course. <laughs> no, I mean this was a good past week. We don't need to. We don't need to. Yeah. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter or X or whatever it's called uh, anymore. Uh, Four one at four one two double play. Gary can be found at Gary Mo two thousand seven. Ed Ed underscore Wassel. Continue listening to all of us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, wherever else podcasts are found. Make sure you sup- subscribe so you get notified when we drop the new episodes. And from all of us here at the four one two double play podcast, thank you for joining us, and let's go Bucks. Let's go Bucks.